How does the Gordon Hayward signing affect the Celtics? Does Danilo Gallinari make the Clippers better? Have the Warriors made the best offseason moves thus far? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast slash live Periscope show and it's our Wednesday three-man pod so I'm really excited to bring on uh, we have Adam Stanko joining us uh, and Dave Dufour so Adam say hi to us give us the, your, your sound and your voice so we know which one is you versus Dave hey it's me I'm Adam uh, people know Dave but I'm Adam and I'm not I'm not in the bathroom right now just in case anyone's concerned about uh, connection or anything like that <laughs> okay good although it, it might sound like you are but we'll make sure actually that you don't yeah the extra sound so Dave uh, you're with us as well. Uh, everything okay on your end? Yeah, everything's great. Uh, getting everything ready to uh, head to Vegas tomorrow, summer league. Yeah, been been trying to not watch summer league games while they're on. You know, it's really hard because it's like, hey, basketball's on television, but it's uh, it's bad. It's not good basketball. Although I will say, uh, seeing some of these guys like uh, Bam Adebayo and and Jonathan Isaac, like seeing them out on the court on an NBA court. Has, has actually opened my eyes up a little bit more to some of their tools. I mean, they're being used in ways they weren't able to be used in college. Actually, Coach Cal uh, had a really funny tweet where he said that, you know, he was holding back Bam. And I thought that was funny because it's also true. Right. Uh, Bam, Bam Adebayo is a monster. Have you, did, you see, did you see that Eurostep? No. The footage? Oh, my gosh. So, he, all right, so Bam is this massive person. And he, he's got a steal kind of on the wing. So, he, you know, he sniffed it out. Took it coast to coast, and at the end, Euro stepped around the defender and just softly laid it in the hoop. I mean, you're going to love Bam Adebayo, I think. Okay, well, looking forward to it. My problem I have with right now with the Summer League stuff in Utah is that the angle of the camera is so low that you Terrible. really can't see enough. It's frustrating, so, you know. <laughs> my, wife said, my wife said that uh, the Orlando Summer League felt like pickup at the YMCA. She was like, wow, this is kind of weird, but also kind of cool. She she thinks that they should do like uh, like preseason games like that. Okay. I don't I don't know if I like that. She just said it felt more intimate. Yeah, so. I, I can see that. It's it's definitely different. So, well, I think we should get into what we want to talk about. A lot of people want to hear about is the news from yesterday, which we got kind of bungled. Uh, and I don't know if we blame Hayward for that or not, but certainly his the decision to or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't think he was at a boys and girls club when he told everybody, but. Certainly, uh, it leaked, and then we, then we weren't sure. Maybe he was lying about it anyway, but he's at the Celtics now. Um, so let's discuss how he fits in the court, and then we can rip him apart for how he came out later. So what do you say? <laughs> Who wants to jump in this first about what the fit will be like for the Celtics? Adam, go for it. Well, I think, first of all, I love the idea of the Celtics small ball lineup now. I think you, you can play Horford at the five. You've now got some different wing opportunities where you could play Hayward at the three and Jason Tatum plays the four. And we already know about their, their guards. Um, so it seems like Marcus Smart is going to be on the outs now and he's going to get moved is from what I understand. But I just really love the fact that we're going to be able to space the floor now for the Celtics. You've got multiple shooters on the floor. Hayward can create his own shot. A guy like Jason Tatum can create his own shot. You've got Isaiah Thomas can create his own shot. So you have all these guys who can create their own shots, plus Avery Bradley you put on the floor. And I just, I really like what the Celtics can do in terms of their spacing offensively. That's what I love the most. And you've got guys that are unselfish on this team. We know Al Horford can pass the basketball. 
And, uh, and, and, and the thing is, I, I just think, plus the athleticism, the wings, uh, Jalen Brown, you haven't even mentioned. Like, I really love the opportunities. They still feel small to me, the Celtics do. But I really love the fact that the way they're going to be able to face the floor in today's NBA, and you can put four guys on the perimeter, I, I just love how they can attack from all angles. That's, that's my immediate takeaway from Hayward. Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with all of those points. Um, you know, I thought we got to see Hayward being sort of the primary playmaker when, when George Hill was out last year. And I, I thought that that would kind of show us how he would work in Boston. Um, he gives them someone else that can create offense, which they haven't had. You know, Nick and I talked about this quite a bit last season with Isaiah Thomas and how much they relied on him for all of their offense. And you know, when he went out in the playoffs, we actually got to see more of that motion-based, you know, off-ball cutting offense. But now they've got another guy that can go and get him a bucket, and that's huge. I mean, if you don't have two of those guys, you have no chance of competing for a championship. I mean, if you look at Golden State, you know, they've got two of the best in the league. Obviously, the Cavs have two of the best in the league. Now the Rockets have two of the best in the league. And I think that Boston has two decent ones. That's that's what I, they, I would. They're not best in the league, but they're two decent ones. Although Isaiah Thomas is is pretty elite at getting a bucket. Um, so, you know, there's that. There's also it's a, like you brought up. It's another wing who can slide between two and four. I, I expect to see him playing a lot of that. I hope to see lineups where he's out there with Jalen Brown and Jay Crowder. And, you know, um, maybe they throw Tatum out there and you run Hayward as like the nominal point guard. And just see what happens, you know, like throw all these long guys out there and, and see what you got. And, uh, you know, I, I think that on the court, it should be a pretty good fit uh, as far as the decision goes. Um, Nick, I, I feel like you might have a take on this. I, I don't really. I mean, listen, I, I, I know some people on the jazz side were really upset with Wade Hayward, but kind of like, is it really his fault that it leaked? It might not be. But the only problem then is once it leaked, it sounded like they wanted to backtrack and make it seem like they didn't make a decision yet, which I think was probably clear they did. He probably already had his player tribune thing written by that point. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. And it's unfortunate. But I guess you're never going to be able to get a decision out again without it leaking, it sounds like, anyway. So, right. um, you know, it's Well, let me saltiness. ask you a question. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. In hindsight, now that we've got – we've you know, we're – six years removed from from LeBron making the decision on TV and not and not dragging it out all this, you know, for these many days. Doesn't it feel like that we kind of are going to head to the point where guys are just going to do a decision sort of press conference or television special or whatever? And maybe we should do this more like like that, where instead of having these bigger free agents drag it out and, and you don't know the decision, right? LeBron, it didn't leak. He he actually was up front, like, here's what's happening, and, you know, got to come out ahead of this. Instead of these stupid, you know, I mean, they're not stupid, but they're silly. Let's say that, okay? These Player Tribune articles are just a little, I don't know. It's kind of like fifth grade stuff, right? Like, oh, I, I really enjoyed my time, but I'm doing, you know, uh, no, come on. Just go on TV and say, look, um, you know what? I'm choosing something that I think is better for me, my family. Say you're pissed off because they screwed around with you when you were a restricted free agent. Whatever. Just <laughs> get it over with, basically. And, and Gordon Hayward actually screwed over, at least a lot of people feel this way, screwed over a lot of free agents, you know, other free agents who were waiting for the Gordon Hayward shoe to drop. So I don't know if he's the most popular guy in the league right now. But wait, so he screwed him over simply by waiting an extra couple days? 
Yeah, so because like we're approaching July sixth, right? So like teams are starting to get their numbers and their books in a row, or their books all straight. I mean, if you look at Boston, like they need to move someone, right? Like in order to make this work, I don't know if you guys realize that, but and it looks like they're probably gonna have to move Marcus Smart. Well, other teams, their books aren't straight. They don't know who they've got because. Like Miami might have thought that they were still getting Gordon Hayward. Same with Utah. I mean, we heard as soon as the Hayward news came out, they were in on Otto Porter. You get what I'm saying? So that kind of just messes with the rest of the league. And, I mean, of course, it's his prerogative, right? It's his contract. It's his career and all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was the report I read was that um, a lot of players aren't really happy with, with Hayward right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's a problem. And it's almost like, um, you know, and by the way, Kevin Durant was able to do it without leaking either and like drop that bomb and, and the Players' Tribune as well. So, you know, I, I don't know. You're right. Maybe there should be some more uniformity. But then again, it's uh, the, the guy deserves to make his decision and I, I suppose take his time. But then again, how much more time did you need from the time that your season ended until the free agency is available? Right. Like that's a lot of time to kind of figure that out. So, um, and then as far as on the court goes, I don't know if I didn't you know, weigh in too much. I think you guys make all really great points. Um, and the context is, uh, you know, against the, the Cavaliers, right? This is the only thing that we're worrying about right now is, is how the Cavaliers uh, are, are threatened or not by this. Uh, you know, without Isaiah Thomas, they won one game um, in the playoffs against them. And, you know, with Isaiah, with Gordon Hayward, and pretty much the same team, and maybe they get rid of Marcus Smart, um, you know, do they win two games? Right. Like, I don't know. Like, Hayward is not a guy that's going to defend, uh, you know, uh, LeBron. Now, the one thing right. we have about the Cavs is that their defense sucks. And I don't <laughs> know true. if it's going to improve. Right. What would you say, Dave? Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, their defense sucks. And I, I don't see a path to improvement of their for their defense. Uh, they're going to have to make some trades of some sort. But, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't think that this moves the needle as much as people want it to. I get that Hayward was the best player available, you know, this summer. But it, like. I don't know. He's like a third tier player to me. He's not a franchise changer. I don't think he's your number one guy. You know, he's not on that Kevin Durant level, right? He's not he's not on that next level down, which is probably like Harden and, and Russ and those guys. Um, he's to me, he's like down in around that Blake Griffin level. Can he can he be one of your top three guys? Absolutely. But do you want him as your number one guy? No, I don't think so. Adam? The only thing I'd say to that, and I'm trying to figure out these mic settings. I may be off a little bit here. Uh, but but I'll just say this real quick is that I think what's fascinating is you picked up Gordon Hayward, and yet you're basically only giving up Marcus Smart. So you get much better offensively. You give yourself some more options offensively, plus a guy that can create his own shot. And not only that, but the big thing is you didn't mortgage your future at all. The Celtics still have moves that are left to be made. And I think that's the big thing with all this. The question is, what's the next move for them? And so I sort of would pose that to you guys. Great question. Well, Great question. I mean, we, we've all heard the reports this morning, right? Like, they they apparently have engaged in talks with Memphis about Marcus All, And, you know, um, I think Horford can play next to Gasol. I don't love that fit, though. Nick, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, I was really struck by why Memphis would want to move Marcus All. That that was strange to me. Um, you know, I, him and Conley are the two that they could build around and, and still compete, and, and that was strange to me to begin with. So, right? Am, am I crazy for thinking that? Uh, I guess yeah, but you have to realize uh, Gasol's thirty-two. He's making you know a large chunk of money, and Memphis is probably going to miss the playoffs this year. 
And so they may be thinking, you know, toward the future and hoping they can get some younger assets. I mean, they're they're probably going to wind up losing to Michael Green, I, I would guess. Um, they don't have any young guys really that are that are that have high potential. The Chandler Parsons contract is not great because he's just sitting there collecting paychecks and can't play. So, and then Mike Conley's getting paid a massive amount of money. And so, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if this would then lead to them trying to move Conley, but I could see the Gasol thing happening. It's actually something I've talked about uh, uh, privately with some people, just because the the age and the money. And you know, there's always a risk. I mean, he's 32. It's these big big centers at at that age, you know, they a lot of times they start breaking down. He's had some injury his, history. Um, I, I you know, it's not it's not great. And and you know, Memphis is definitely more likely to hang on to him longer, and, and then get less return. But I think that if Boston comes calling with some of these assets, you have to answer, especially if like a guy like Tatum is in the mix. You know, you get a, a lottery pick, you know, as a rookie. I, I think they've got to listen. Okay. Well, and then as far as that goes, you know, getting Marcus all is a, you know they have to get rid of Horford. I don't think that they would they need they would need the, both of those guys in the roster. And again, I don't know if Horford has that much value. I mean, there's some value to him, but they'd have to get rid of him. I I just don't. I mean, I what is he coming off the bench? And I don't know. It doesn't seem that kind of guy. So um, does that make him better? So we're talking about Horford, Gasol. Uh, what are we talking about? Um, Hayward. Uh, sorry, Gasol. Hayward, not Horford, Hayward, Gasol, uh, what, Avery Bradley? Um, well, I think Avery Bradley would probably be included in a trade for Gasol. Okay. Which, so, Nick, like, as you and I have, have stated, I don't know, almost every episode of this podcast, if you have to trade Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder, like, your, your team is probably getting worse unless you're adding, like, a top 10 player, right? Just from what they do for the team and how they fit into the team, you know, kind of psyche, right? Like, yeah, they're but, they're... But, uh, but on that flip side, if you can trade Avery Bradley for yeah for Marcus All, then you do that in a heartbeat anyway. I think right? that's sort of the point I would I would make, especially sure. because Avery Bradley now would be having to come off the bench anyway, right? He's not going to start over Hayward at two. So we're talking about Isaiah Thomas, Hayward in the backcourt, right? Or are we doing Hayward at three? I think Hayward probably is playing the three. I don't think it really matters though. Okay. Like I think you know, is Jalen Brown going to start? I guess is the real question. All right. Well, let's pretend. I guess he well. You know, well, and, well, Crowder is still there. I mean, it's really uh, it's very up in the air. That's that's what I think is concerning. What are you hearing anybody uh, about that trade? Who is Boston going to give up to get Gasol? I, I would assume, you know, I'm, it, it, people are throwing names out there. But my assumption is it would be Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder and and a pick at the at the minimum. Um, I, I don't know how the salaries work out, but uh, they would probably have to add someone else. And well, so I think that that's that's a problem to me. Who do you want to keep, Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart, if you're the Celtics? That's a – I don't know. Adam, oh. we can't hear you. And we lost you, Adam. Uh, yeah. Was so, uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe he lost our audio, too, because he has no – Adam, we can't hear you. Turn your mic back on. Um, we'll keep talking. So, yeah, I mean, by the way – I got I, it. I'm back, I think. Oh, there you right? go. So, there Adam, what okay. were you saying as far as, uh, you know, who Sorry. would you pick if you were the Celtics if you had the choice between Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley to keep? Sorry about that, guys. Uh, definitely Avery Bradley for me. First of all, I think he's he's a guy. There's very few true lockdown defenders in the NBA. Like, like guys talk about it, and they're system guys that are really good. But to have a true guy that you can stick on a perimeter player and really bother him over the course of an entire game, those guys are just rare. 
I mean, there's great athletes. There's guys that commit defensively for short spans. But Avery Bradley, to me, is one of the best defensive players in the league and on on ball defenders. And then and then his ability to shoot the ball. And there's just sort of um, a leadership role that he provides for the Celtics. He's a very calming influence. He was great this year when in the playoffs, when everything was going on with Isaiah Thomas, he seemed to be the calming voice like things. You know, we, we looked at that as sort of like an inspirational story that that Isaiah Thomas was over to, able to overcome it. And I think a large part of that had to do with. Uh, his relationship with Avery Bradley and the fact that Avery Bradley was sort of calming influence on the entire team. So for all those reasons, I love him. I, I'm excited about what Marcus Smart could be somewhere else because I don't think he's ever had the opportunity to really be showcased as a guard. But just in terms of the future going forward, like Avery Bradley to me is the guy. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. And, and you know, I'm a well-known Marcus Smart fan you know like i mean possibly irrationally so like i i believe his shot's gonna come around i like him as a playmaker i love him as a defender i mean he's elite as a defender he can he can switch one through five which is crazy at his size and uh you know so but i think i think that you know he's obviously gonna be on his way out i think the writing's on the wall there um but but i wouldn't want mark gasol if you have to give up Crowder and Bradley, and I know that sounds weird, but I just what what Crowder and Bradley do for a team, they're hard. Those things are hard to replicate. And, and I don't know if Marcus all again, like you said, uh, Nick, if you keep Horford, I don't know that Marcus all comes in and just and fits well, because it seems to me like Horford and Gasol Gasol is a better version of Horford. Right. And besides a, a guy like like uh, the, the position you want to bring in off the bench at that for that position would be some high energy guy that's like grabbing rebounds and blocking shots. That ain't Horford. Right. You know, it's kind of like you know you, you you bring in the fireballer first, and then you relieve. You know, the closer is going to be a guy throwing you know junk at, in the ninth <laughs> inning. It's like it doesn't work. So um, that's why I feel like you know. But then again, I, there probably isn't a lot of value for a big guy that can shoot a little bit, doesn't get a lot of rebounds, doesn't protect the rim. It's like I, I don't know. Horford is is in this. You know, he's. He's one of those weird, like, Cro-Magnon men who, like, you know, he's, he's, he's a, stuck in between uh, eras here. Well, he's a great passer, and he's, he's a good enough yes. shooter. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's a good enough shooter. But he's a great passer and facilitator. He, he is a lot like Nikola Jokic, and, and we all love Nikola Jokic, um, but Horford is, is, to me, like a little bit better version of what Jokic is right now. I mean, Jokic is going to be probably better. He's going to surpass him, but, but I think Horford, he's not a bad player. Like, again, he's in that third maybe fourth tier of players. Um, you know, he, he's, I don't know. Yeah. He's not coming off the bench though. Let's it's, just go yeah. ahead and clear that up. He, and if, if, that's if, if they selling, get Gasol, if you're, if you're trying to sell Horford that way, I ain't buying. I don't know. I mean, he's okay, but man, it's just, uh, you know, he's an average three point shooter, which is good for the big man side, but he doesn't sure. take too many. I don't know. I, 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 I get what you see by the passing. Gasol but, is uh, an upgrade though. Gasol's an upgrade in every way. Gasol's oh. a better passer. Gasol's a better shooter. Gasol's a much better defensive player. Uh, you know, and so there, there is, you can yeah. see, okay, well, adding Gasol makes us better, but I think Horford and that contract has to go and I don't know who's going to take him. I mean, right. Memphis, yeah. if Memphis is trading Marcus Gasol, they're not going to take Horford back. You know, right. like if they, right. if they're trading Marcus Gasol, it says we're going in a different direction. Right. Anyway. Well, Horford's he's not an expiring, is he? Uh, no. See, that no. would be the only thing. No, um, no. And by the way, so yeah, the Celtics need to keep Crowder. I think Crowder is the only guy they need to keep alongside Gasol and Hayward and Isaiah Thomas. To me, that's the guy because, you know, it's funny. Nobody can guard LeBron, 
So it's not like you have to, you know, we, we don't have anybody who can guard LeBron. Nobody has anybody who can guard LeBron. But you need to have someone who can at least make him work. And, you know, I believe that Crowder can still be that guy, although it didn't seem to be that way in the, in the, in the playoffs. But maybe another year of experience and whatever and training, they can, he can figure that out better. But uh, that's the key here for me is they, they should keep Crowder. Um, and then you have – that's a nice starting lineup. If you get Marcus All, Crowder, Hayward, uh, Isaiah Thomas. And, yeah, you maybe throw Jalen Brown in there with a, that. Yeah, it's nice. Belt. You lose in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I, I mean so- – so here's my question then. Ultimately, you have to ask yourself, if you're the Celtics, who's untouchable on this team? Because you say you don't want to trade Crowder. I keep hearing from everyone, you can't trade Jalen Brown. There's too much potential there for the long term. My question becomes, if you're stuck in this situation, which we always talk about, you know, the teams that are seventh or eighth in the, you know, in, in playoff seating is the worst place to be because you're sort of stuck in no man's land and you're not going to end up with a high pick that's going to help you for the future. The Celtics have picks coming to them in the future. They've got young assets. I, to me, I would put everything on the table. I, I don't know. I understand that. I understand the appreciation for Crowder and I'm with you. I like, I love all the players the Celtics sort of have right now, but, but to your point, how much better can they be? Can they really be better than the Cavs right now? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And you can't just bank on a, okay, maybe LeBron gets hurt. And then we, end up representing the East in the finals, you know? Well, you know, I actually, so I, I want to counter that argument with maybe LeBron gets hurt. And, and like, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit with uh, with the Raptors. There's nothing wrong with throwing a good team out there that just wins games, is in the top four, right? Like, if you're if you're within striking distance of the finals, I think that's a good thing. And, and, and obviously, they were the number one seed last year. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I, you know, I really thought that they had a chance against the Cavs because of how bad the Cavs defense is, but you know, LeBron is, is a juggernaut unto himself. And so, you know, good luck, but you know, LeBron is right now, 32 years old. He'll be 33 by next year's playoffs. You know, he's got a lot of miles and this is, you know, I'm not predicting a breakdown because I just, you know, we haven't seen it, right? Like, why would right. I, why would I assume that? But if you're these teams that keep coming back and they're close, all your all it takes is one LeBron injury, and then the other thing is remember LeBron is a free agent next year, and there's a lot of smoke that he wants to leave Cleveland, and so you know like maybe he goes west, and then all of a sudden now you've got this team that's been on the cusp, and you're ready to compete. Like it's sort of like if you remember the Jordan uh, the Jordan years where they were just getting destroyed by the Pistons in the late '80s, right? Sure. And then they were they were ready for that championship run when it started. And I think that you can look at Boston kind of the same way. Their ages sort of line up similarly, like a lot of mid-20s guys who will be hitting their prime in the next two or three years, uh, outside of Horford, who's a little bit older, but that's okay. He could be your uh, Bill Cartwright. And, uh, you know, so by the time LeBron is done, these guys are ready to just step in. They've kind of been, you know, a little bit of trial by fire right now, getting destroyed in the playoffs by the Cavs. It can be a little bit demoralizing, but... Look at how they came back last year and, and then made the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought I thought that this is good, right? It's good to win games. I mean, which is so funny to say and so funny that I even have to say it because we all think, right. well, if you're not winning a championship, you got to blow it up. But it's good to win games. It's good for your fan base. It's good for your players, especially the young guys. And I think it puts you in a position when you, when it's your time, you're ready to go. Dave, and to that point, I, I wasn't even – it's funny. You you make the counter argument. 
I wasn't even arguing against that. I was more <laughs> right. saying that my, but my bigger thing, and I'm with you. I mean, you go back and look just at, at NBA history and you look at all these teams. I mean, the Pistons had to get by the Celtics, you know, before that, that Bulls run. I mean, you know, you go all the way back and it's always teams that have sort of had to sort of work themselves up to get ready. I mean, we saw it with the Warriors have to sort of get ready. They weren't just a championship team overnight. And, and, you know, the Clippers are really the only one that felt like, oh, they're on the cusp and never really, you know, got over the hump. But I do think that uh, with this Celtics team, I do think you just look at the minutes in terms of Tatum, Hayward, Crowder, Jalen Brown, and you've got the picks. I mean, is there a huge deal still awaiting them that could be just the, the willingness to part with one of those guys and a pick could mean you're getting a superstar. Now, granted, I'm with you. Gasol's probably not that guy that I'm that I would necessarily target in that case, especially because his skill set's similar to Horford. But I do think that if it came down to it, like to me, Jalen Brown wouldn't be untouchable. I would. I don't think Crowder would be untouchable. Now, dealing a few of them, yes, I think that's when you start to get in trouble. But I, I sort of look at that team and say, where are the minutes going to come from? I mean, we know Marcus Smart's gone, but if you assume Isaiah Thomas is going to get the minutes that he's going to get. I mean, and we know what Hayward's going to get in terms of minutes-wise. Tatum, Brown, Crowder, Avery Bradley. I mean, wh- where are the minutes coming from? There, That's, there's that 144 was- minutes in the two through four spot, and you've got like five guys that need minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, I, mean, I, I speaking of minutes and other guys that need minutes, I think we need to give some to Gallinari and to Millsap. So let's let's break into a couple of those trades because uh, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on both in Denver and L.A. Uh, let's just start with L.A. because I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are about this. You know, there's sort of this weird trade that kind of happened. Basically, it's Gallinari is now in, in, in L.A. So let's look at that first so we can kind of break everything else out. You have a front court of Gallo, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, and the back court of P- Patrick Beverly. And uh, I don't even know who's going to start at the two guard for them. I don't even know at this point. Yeah, they're not done yet. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who they're looking at to, to kind of play that right. two I spot. Think, but like Jamal Crawford wants. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, he wants to go to the Lakers. Um, I, I don't know. But so, what do we make of that front court? Is that it? This seems kind of bizarre to me. But what do you guys? What's your immediate reaction? I think Danilo Gallinari is a four in the NBA. I don't think he can guard guys on the wing anymore, especially you know after the knee injury. I, I think that. Um, I think he's a he. He next to Blake is a fine fit. Like if Blake is like a small ball five um, for for spot minutes, I think that's a good fit. I think Gallo next to DJ is a good fit because Gallo can stretch the floor and he can shoot. But I think Gallo next to Blake and DJ is funky, just like kind of, you know, Blake next to DJ is a little funky unless he's going to be the nominal point guard really facilitating from the elbows and stuff like you and I have talked about before. Um, So I don't love the signing three years. Sixty five million is a ton of money for something that may not work out. And I don't know how much de- there must have been demand for Gallinari. I mean, he's not a bad player he, and he would have fit in a lot of places, but I don't know that the Clippers were among those that, that I would rank highly as, as fits for Gallo. I, I, I agree. And I think that you're right. What, what you're saying as far as um, the fit is it's, it's very strange. It's not a great price for them either. Although I think we need to stop doing, here's my big idea for, for you know, the salary stuff is, we have to stop looking at the numbers and just start using it as a percentage of the salary cap, right? Because right. that way we can finally at least compare to like the years before because 20 million bucks is not what it was three years ago. And so, you know, it's that's 20% what we need to look of the at. cap, though. It's What's 20% that? of the cap. It is? 
Yeah, it's, so it's, the cap is $99 million. Right, but you know, I want to go back five years ago and look at like what a starting power forward, but percentage of the cap it was, because we knew the starting power forward right. back then was, was a lot less than $20 million, but you know, either way, that's what I need to look at. But um, it's weird, and it's almost like, yeah, Gallinari probably had some other better choices. Now, as far as I could tell, that was a trade. It wasn't a signing uh, in some weird way. Well, it was a signing trade. So, so the way it worked out, it actually, because of the Clippers cap situation, they really needed the sign and trade to happen like this. They were able to send salary to Atlanta along with a 2019 first round pick from the Clippers, which could be, uh, you know, could be a lottery pick. And, uh, and then Denver, a lot of people were curious, like they thought that Millsap was going to be involved in the in the trade to Denver, but it didn't make any sense for Denver to to sign and trade with Millsap because it actually it, it limits the way that they could set structure his contract. The they couldn't do the non guaranteed third year. They would miss out on bird rights uh, after two. So um, basically, they would have no hope of keeping him beyond two seasons. And so it made no sense, which is why it was good that he wasn't included. But Denver gets a second round pick just for facilitating this this deal. And that's, I mean, that's a no-brainer because now you've got Denver. I think needs to move a contract probably for Reed, and now you've got this second-round pick as an extra sweetener. You know, they've got a ton of assets, and now they just got an extra one. I mean, these second-round picks are valuable now. So um, yeah, it was a sign and trade. It actually hard caps the Clippers. So the Clippers now, uh, you know, the tax line's one nineteen. They can't go over one hundred and twenty-five, which is the hard cap apron. Um, and, and you know. I guess that's fine. It's only one year, but uh, when you've got a roster that's as weird as theirs is right now, I mean, they may be starting Austin Rivers at the two. Um, you you don't really love that, but that was the only way they were getting it done. I think they only had the mid-level exception, so like eight and a half million or something that they could have offered Gallo, and that's not getting it done because I think there was some demand on the market. Fair enough. Adam, what are your take on the court about how this is going to fit together? Well, it's interesting. I, we knew they wanted shooting, right? You knew that the, the Clippers sort of felt like, okay, we need so, – and and the pairing of, I agree, the, the Blake Griffin-Danilo uh, pairing to me is really fascinating. Like all of a sudden, you know, whether it's Blake working out of the post and Danilo outside the three-point line, I, I think there's something there. I, I think that it could be good. The, the only issue for me is, is he going to stay healthy? I mean, this is a guy that hasn't played 70 games in the last four years. I mean, that's crazy to me. He's only 28 years old, and yet with his injury history, I mean, he never seems to be able to stay on the court consistently. And that is what is what would have me worried. And plus, you know, to Dave's point, I mean, if he's also playing the four, it's clunky. But I, I sometimes wonder if just the Blake DeAndre situation is clunky. I mean, yes, it's fun. Everyone loves the fact that, uh, you know, it's Lob City and those guys are a lot of fun to watch in general. And I think I, I really like Blake Griffin as a player. I like the fact that he can pass. I'm disappointed in some of the uh, the footwork sometimes in the post. And, and coach, I know you've talked about that at length. But um, and I like DeAndre <laughs> Jordan for all that he can do. But I just my my issue is just in general, I, I almost look at the DeAndre Blake pairing in general as being somewhat clunky. And 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 so until that sort of gets sorted out, um, yeah, it's exciting that Blake's coming back to L.A. and now they have another piece that's interesting. But I don't know, to me, without Chris Paul too running things like how much are we going to see Blake actually bringing the ball up? I think Blake's that's the point be, guard. Yeah, Blake's the I point mean, guard. Yeah. And, and so how does that operate? How does that how does that work in terms of the long term is, is sort of the question that I ultimately have. And then 
this this Austin Rivers thing. I'm always fascinated by the the team dynamics as well, and and what. Glenn Davis has said about Austin Rivers over the course of this past year, what's been, you know, behind the scenes implied by Chris Paul about Austin Rivers and the Doc Rivers thing for the first time. Like all of a sudden, is is there some internal stuff with the team for the first time with the Clippers? It was always sort of, hey, we're sticking together. We have, a, you know, J.J. Redick was part of this. He talked about it on his podcast. We're, we have this cohesive team. And now all of a sudden for the first time, Redick's gone. Chris Paul's gone. We're here in Austin Rivers is causing these issues. Glenn Davis is making comments from, you know, from the uh, peanut gallery. So all of a sudden to me, I'm, I'm now worried about team chemistry as well as just what we already see on the court. And don't forget, Redick was probably gone before the playoffs even started because his body language was terrible. Like we are so far from the Ubuntu days mm-hmm. in Boston. And, <laughs> and, you know, like a lot of that is I think that. Chris Paul, like Chris Paul, as for as great of a player as he is and as much of a leader on the court, I think that he's got a personality that tends to irk some guys that he plays with. He's always chirping at them. If you make a mistake, I mean, he's on you about it. And there are some guys that respond well to that sort of thing. I think the guys in Boston responded well to that when, when KG would get on them. And maybe it was just that KG was more well-respected or well-liked outside of you know, that stuff. And I don't know if they like Chris Paul as much. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm I'm totally speculating on that, but it's also things are not great. the way you do it, and I think that a lot of times the way the like KG to me didn't necessarily come from a place of anger when he would call you know get on you and and whatever. Whereas you know just always and I know, this is all just me looking at it from a side from afar, but it did it did feel like it was anger with Chris Paul. He would be angry with you and frustrated and it would be that's the kind of thing that wears on you and you're right. It's like I want to hold him up as those gold standard for point guard play, but there is that issue that that also affects faces. his play and he has gotten you know, lost his stuff. He, the the faces, the disrespect on his face when he looks at these guys. My wife likes to say it's not what you say, it's how you say it and I feel like that that's a large part of the thing with with Chris Paul is like other players probably criticize their teammates the same way, but it's the way like that he like phrases it and maybe the way he looks at people and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and as far um, as as far as the pairing of like the two bigs and in the, in the, for the Clippers, the bottom line is if you're going to try and do that now, then you both they have to both be plus defenders, like really good defenders. I think that's how you need to do it, and that's how you justify having them, especially if the guy, the power forward guy, isn't the three point shooter, like like which Blake is not, and Blake is not a playmaker at all on the defensive end. And I, I kind of want to say he's bad, but at the very least, he doesn't make any plays on that end. And that's, that's the real problem. And by the way, I was going through a lot of footage when I was looking for the Chris Paul, uh, how that's going to work with uh, James Harden. And I went back to when Collison was with them. And, you know, I, I must have watched like two, 300 clips. Uh, I got to tell you, like when you get back and you really look at the, oh, the big view of like what the Clippers' issues were, why they didn't break through, it just feels like it was Blake. It is Blake. And it's the way he plays. Uh, it just sort of holds them back and puts it to the ceiling. The way he can't attack on the catch and the way he's, you know, he, he's in that mellow uh, camp as far as, like, stopping the ball and has Jab never really gotten. stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. probably because his passing is better. He doesn't get that kind of shit for that. But uh, he, he really is a ball stopper. So well, um, that's an issue. I mean, so, yeah. For the, for the people playing the b-ball breakdown drinking game, Adam did mention Blake Griffin's footwork, and we didn't do it. So I'm just throwing that out there just for the record. For people right. keeping score at home, this is the first time ever that we talked about Blake and didn't bring up his footwork. So, <laughs> Right, right. One thing, though, last before, before you move on to something else, 
I'm curious about the Austin Rivers situation. For the first time in in his career, he's going to get a chance to to be let go. Chris Paul's not going to hold him back. Um, he doesn't have the injuries that he had early on in his career. I think you might see some like a mini numbers explosion from Austin Rivers. I think this is going to be a breakout year for him offensively. He's a guy that he's talked about so much about lacking confidence early in his career. <laughs> Nick's face right also- now is amazing. <laughs> Listen, you know what? Hang on. You know what? I'm going to stick up for Adam here. Uh, Austin Rivers is actually not a bad player. He's not He's not a good player, necessarily, but he's not a bad player. And he's actually a decent defender. He is not – this is not like New Orleans Pelicans' Austin Rivers. He's a little bit better. I love that you switched the camera to your face. This is the best. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm a director but, here. But, that's right. But really, like, he's actually not a bad player. Now, is he worth what he's getting paid? I don't know about that. But it, like you said, you have to adjust your expectations based on the cap and things like that. But I'm with you. I mean – if nothing else, his usage is going to go up. I wish that he was better at moving the basketball. And it that feels like it's going to be a problem. Now, if, the, if they do keep everyone around, Pat Beverly, I think, is a great point guard to have out there. If you want ball movement, he's great at that. You know, he can hit, he can hit the spot up three. He can actually initiate the offense. And I think that, that he may make up for some of the other guys stopping the ball. They still, I mean, Gallo's not going to stop the ball. He's a great passer. Uh, Blake is a great passer. Maybe this unlocks something. You know, maybe maybe we see Austin Rivers become like this super cutter, like Gary Harris or something like that. I mean, we don't know yet. And, and I mean, is Doc the guy to coach this team to to what you know what I, I'm envisioning? I don't know about that either. Well, by the way, I just I knew when I called up Austin Rivers stats, I was going to be surprised by how many points he scored last year per game because you know it whatever it ended up being twelve. Uh, and he didn't shoot that great. He shot okay from three. But, again, a lot of that has to do with sort of Chris Paul being out there and being able to throw the right kind of dimes for him perfectly. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, if he's going to be the starting guard, the way he shoots, it's like um, I just don't see it. And also there was some meme that went around that he was like, you know, a really great defender. He's their best perimeter defender. And I don't, I don't that's see not that true. at all. No, that's not true. But he is, he is not – a negative defender. Let's just put it that way. He's not a negative player. Okay. He's, he's okay. I mean, I know that like saying, okay, is like saying he's a, a hall of famer <laughs> nowadays. Just like saying that a guy is not great means he's trash. You know, like it, it's, it's funny. Like we swing both ways, but he's okay. Okay. He's not necessarily worth that contract, but he's okay. And I don't, I don't think he should start, but he's probably going to, like, I just don't see a path to them. I mean, like, are they going to sign Nick young to start? I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe the homecoming, coming back to the Clippers. Uh, we'll see. Go. I mean, you know, it's funny because the Warriors, I think, really like Nick Young and would want to sign him. And he probably would work out pretty well there, believe it or not. But they just signed um, uh, Caspi, which is a different position. But you're kind of like they're kind of running out of space here. I don't know if they have any other space to sign anybody now. And that's a really great pickup as well, uh, right? Um, as far as whose audio is yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Omri Caspi to the Warriors is such an amazing signing. Um, I, I threw this I threw this lineup idea out there, and basically I was like, you could run Curry, Clay, Caspi, KD, and Draymond Green out there, and that's probably like a 200 offensive rating lineup. I mean that that they're just going to score so much. Everyone remembers the game from a couple years ago, Curry and Caspi going back and forth. They hit like nine threes combined in three minutes. Um, now imagine that but with them uh, sharing the court. I mean, they basically, the rich got richer here. The the space got 
spacier. You know, like they, they just increase their space so much. He can play a three and four. Um, could probably spot some minutes at the five, you know, like as a super small shooting five. Um because rim protection, like on that team, comes from different places, and so yeah, I mean, I love that signing. It's a value signing. I thought that they should have tried to get him uh, last year, uh, at the like before the playoffs instead of Matt Barnes. I thought he would have been great then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I love man, I love that signing, and and everyone is you know when the Warriors, it's sort of like the Spurs, right? They the Warriors have gotten to the Spurs level. Every time they sign somebody, it's like oh, perfect, of course. Of course they signed Omri Caspi. Oh, perfect. Man, right. the Warriors just keep on making the right moves. But, of course, like this is how you win games, right? It's like these fringe moves really make a big difference. Isn't it true, though, that also to, to that point, the Spurs and the Warriors, that when you ask a guy to take on a particular role as opposed to turning him into a starter and asking him to score for you or asking him to be your primary defender, whatever the case may be, that all of a sudden that guy can look so much better. I mean, yes, certain guys, like we, we, we say, they get implemented into the system, but it's almost like when you've created such a deep roster and you have so much talent on your team that all of a sudden it's, okay, you're going to come in and spell for six minutes a game and, you know, be a spot up shooter for us. All of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is tremendous. But meanwhile, if, 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 uh, if we're talking about him going to the to the Clippers, for instance, we, we'd be now saying the exact same thing about sort of similar stuff we were saying about Gallinari. Like, this can't be the answer for you. Well, you know, it's yeah. all but, about expectations. But by the way, the other uh, the, the, the next level of that uh, connection is they're like, OK, these are the exact shots that you are going to get in our offense. It's the Danny Green effect where, you know, Danny Green couldn't even make the last place Cavaliers. But when they go to the, he goes to the Spurs and he knows exactly what to practice in that, that first fall or that first summer, he's ready to go. It's the same thing here where they can have Omri Gaspari sort of in, uh, in the same way. Uh, and here's what's frustrating to me because the only team in my mind that has the ability to threaten the Cavaliers in the East is the only team that did nothing so far, and that's the Wizards. So here you have the Warriors – who are doing, you know, picked up a couple great little pieces here, and they're, they're going to reload and be ready to go. And even though Ian Clark's leaving, like, there's no problem there. And here's the Wizards, where they're, I think that they're probably as close as anybody in the East. And they just got stuck with Otto Porter having to, like, deal with his contract situation and, and having a match or whatever that's going to be. And it's like, that just, that's kind of frustrating, isn't it? Well, this is that, like, fourth-dimensional chess stuff, right? Like, I mean, the Nets getting, forcing the Wizards to sign him to that, four-year, $106 million max deal, which, you know, we've been saying all year, like, he's getting a max, right? Like, whether you consider him a max player in the grand scheme of things is different than a max contract. And so, um, yeah, they are kind of now stuck. They didn't have any money anyway, and now they're kind of stuck. They, they'll need to move. I mean, I'm assuming they need to move Gortat because I doubt anyone's taking uh, Mahinmi. But, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, it, it just... The the cap right this season or this summer is so tricky. Nobody has any cap space. I mean, we saw the market dry up so quick for point guards. Think about that. Like six months ago, we were saying, man, George Hill is probably going to get a max on the open market. And he just signed in Sacramento three years, 57 million. I mean, he got like 19 million a year, which is far from his max. So, I mean, yeah, things things have things were weird this past week. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really frustrating uh, on that end because, uh, you know, who, the Warriors don't have money. They don't, they're all tied up, too. And, like, you know, and, and by the way, it's funny because the Clippers for all these years also, Doc Rivers is terribly, he's locked them in. He can't do anything because of the contracts. And yet every year he's pulled off something uh, to get uh, different players in. So it's like there are ways, I suppose, you're supposed to be able to do this stuff. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what's frustrating. Dave. We have breaking news. We have yes. breaking news. Um, we had, it's funny because we were just talking about this, but Nick Young has agreed to a one-year uh, contract with the Golden State Warriors. So, okay. So they were able to squeeze him in. There it is. So they signed him. Uh, I think I believe this is their taxpayer mid-level, the $5.2 million. So, I mean, I'll have to look at the cap sheet. But right. um, good signing. I mean, we talked about this uh, when it was a rumor that, that we both liked it, especially since, uh, you know, like we saw him – give a shit on defense last year and he actually was pretty decent he's another shooter they're not going to ask him just like caspi they're not going to ask him to do too much it's not like hey uh nick we want to bring you in we want to play you 38 minutes a game and we want you to be the primary initiator on the offense can you do that no you're going to play eight to ten minutes a game you're basically going to be ian clark but bigger can you do that perfect you know like yeah. The rich got richer. Well, no, I love it. By the way, there's, there's one more level to that, as I'm trying to tweet everyone out and tell them that we're talking about this. Uh, here we go. Uh, it is. Are you ready? You mentioned that he, was, he actually gave a shit on defense last year. Well, who inspired him to give a crap on defense? Luke Walton. Um, I don't think it would be that difficult for Steve Kerr to pick up the phone and say, hey, Luke. Like, give us some insight. What were the things that you did to get him motivated to play defense like that, you know, last year? So that's another level where they're going to be able to be, you know, tap into that. And because, uh, again, I, I'm the first guy to be to admit, like, I was shocked at how well he was making plays and he was in his stance and he was trying at least. And can you imagine the shooting, the shots he's going to get in Golden State? I mean, Adam, you just, you know, you're going to be up there. It's going to be you better, like, make sure that the, your, your house doesn't burn down. It's going to be so hot over there. It's unreal what they're what they're doing right now. I'm just blown away. And here's the crazy thing that, you know, uh, I used to work on Scott Van Pelt and Rosillo's uh, on on their show. I used to produce their show for television. And when I was doing that, we had a segment Wizards Daily and it featured all of these terrible Wizards blades that were <laughs> taking place every day. And they featured JaVale McGee, Nick Young, you know, Andre Blatch, Deshaun Stevens. But the point is that, like. That's what the Wizards can do. When you reach this point where you are so good, I, I tweeted about this the other day and said, like, they're just finding new ways to challenge themselves. They're now bringing in these Wizards that were, like, the joke from a couple of years ago. But, like, again, when you have a team that is so stable, the coaching staff is so stable, the veteran core is so stable, you can make these moves and bring guys in that just take advantage of their strengths. And to, so Nick Young with open shots – and not forcing the issue and playing defense, like we're going to see the Nick Young that Nick Young has always believed that he was, you know, like, like all of a sudden we're seeing swaggy P to like the, the highest level that we're going to be able to see. And I, I like, I, I can't believe it that these teams can bring them in. And, and, you know, you, you bring up Doc Rivers and you say, like, we look around and I, I swear every week you can make this same argument. The top GMs in the league, always find a way to make these moves and always can convince these players to come in. And it, the top executives always pull it off, regardless of what their immediate cap situation is, regardless of what it is long-term. Pat Riley, R.C. Buford, Daryl Morey, you know, we see the same guys making the same wise moves over and over again. And Bob Myers, of course, is, is in that class with those guys. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out, but certainly you can argue the Warriors might have won the free agency so far this year with what they've oh, done. Oh, and won the draft. Think about that. They didn't even have a draft pick, and they won the draft. They got Jordan Bell and and Boucher. I mean, like, again, this is this is how teams this is how teams build sustainability and stay good. Like, I mean, they they basically just said, you know what? What have the Spurs been doing for the last twenty years? Let's do that. Yeah. And they yeah. did it. And you look at the Cavs, and I think you know, to talk about David Griffin again, I think this was part of the issue, right? Like, is David Griffin wanted to switch to a sustainability model? Hey, what do we do if LeBron's not happy living in Cleveland? You know, and and you know, you try to switch to this model, but if the ownership doesn't want to do it and wants to just keep you know finding splashy names or whatever, well. You're you're kind of you're you're on the outs and you're looking for a job possibly in New York. So, yeah. Well, we shall see how that all plays out. But uh, fantastic show today. We caught through a lot of stuff in depth uh, this time, so I'm glad we can get through there. And uh, you can hear all this stuff if you, in, in full if you want to hear the whole uh, uh, podcast. Uh, we're going to drop this right away this afternoon, so you can tune into iTunes and Stitcher or whatever else you want to do. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, great stuff. Um, anything you guys want to plug while we're here? We're finishing up. No, I think everybody knows how to find me at this point. Adam. Okay. Adam, you no. too? Plug your podcast. I'm on Naismith Lives. Oh, I, I uh, Great Point Podcast. You can catch interviews on that and 40-Year Coach Podcast. I sometimes, I've been now hosting that as well. We just did one with Josh Pastner a couple weeks ago. So college coaches, mainly the uh, main subject there. But thank you, guys. I always appreciate being on with you. Awesome. Well, great stuff. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. Are you in, guys? Always. Absolutely. We really got to coordinate that.